Chapter Twenty Nine of Vera by Elizabeth von Arnhem. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Nine. Two days went by undisturbed by the least manifestation from Wemyss. Miss Entwhistle wrote to him on each of the afternoons, telling him of Lucy's progress and of what the doctor said about her. And on each of the evenings she lay down on the sofa to sleep, feeling excessively insecure, for how very likely that he would come down by some late train and walk in, and then there she would be. In spite of that, she would have been very glad if he had walked in. It would have seemed more natural. And she couldn't help wondering whether the little thing in the bed wasn't thinking so too. But nothing happened. He didn't come, he didn't write, he made no sign of any sort. Curious, said Miss Entwhistle to herself, and forbore to criticize further. They were peaceful days. Lucy was getting better all the time though still kept carefully in bed by the doctor. And Miss Entwhistle felt as much justified being in the house as Chesterton or Lizzie, for she was performing duties under a doctor's directions. Also, the weather was quiet and sunshiny. In fact, there was peace. On Thursday, the doctor said Lucy might get up for a few hours and sit on the sofa, and there, its asperity softened by pillows, she sat and had tea, and through the open window came the sweet smells of April. The gardener was mowing the lawn, and one of the smells was of the cut grass. Miss Entwhistle had been out for a walk, and found some wind-flowers and some lovely bright green moss, and put them in a bowl. The doctor had brought a little bunch of violets out of his garden. The afternoon sun lay beautifully on the hills across the river. The river slid past the end of the garden tranquilly, and Miss Entwhistle, pouring out Lucy's tea and buttering her toast, felt that she could at that moment very nearly have been happy, in spite of its being the willows she was in, if there hadn't, in the background, brooding over her day and night, been that very odd and disquieting silence of Everard's. As if Lucy knew what she was thinking, she said, it was the first time she had talked of him, You know, Aunt Dot, Everard will have been fearfully busy this week, because of having been away so long. Oh, of course, agreed Miss Entwhistle, with much heartiness. I'm sure the poor dear has been run off his legs. He didn't, he hasn't. Lucy flushed and broke off. I suppose, she began after a minute, there's been nothing from him? No message, I mean? On the telephone or anything? No, I don't think there has. Not since our talk the first day, said Miss Entwhistle. Oh, did he telephone the first day? asked Lucy quickly. You never told me. You were asleep nearly all that day. Yes, said Miss Entwhistle, clearing her throat. We had quite, we had a, we had quite a little talk. What did he say? Well, he naturally wanted you to be well enough to go up to London, and of course he was very sorry you couldn't. Lucy looked suddenly much happier. Yes, said Miss Entwhistle, as though in answer to the look. He hates writing letters, you know, Aunt Dot, Lucy said presently. Men do, said Miss Entwhistle. It's very curious, she continued brightly, but men do. And he hates telephoning. It was wonderful for him to have telephoned that day. Men, said Miss Entwhistle, are very funny about some things. 
"'Today is Thursday, isn't it?' said Lucy. "'He ought to be here by one o'clock to-morrow.' Miss Entwhistle started. "'To-morrow?' she repeated. "'Really? Does he? I mean, ought he? Somehow I had supposed Saturday. The weekend somehow suggests Saturdays to me. No, he, we—' Lucy corrected herself. "'Come down on Fridays. He's sure to be down in time for lunch.' "'Oh, is he?' said Miss Entwhistle, thinking a great many things very quickly. "'Well, if it is his habit,' she went on, "'I am sure that he will. Do you remember how we set our clocks by him when he came to tea in Eaton Terrace?' Lucy smiled, and the remembrance of those days of love, and of all his dear funny ways, flooded her heart, and washed out for a moment the honeymoon, the birthday, everything that had happened since. Miss Entwhistle couldn't but notice the unmistakable love look. "'Oh, I'm so glad you love each other so much,' she said with all her heart. "'You know, Lucy, I was afraid that perhaps this house—' She stopped, because adequately to discuss the willows in all its aspects needed, she felt, perfect health on both sides. "'Yes, I don't think a house matters when people love each other,' said Lucy. "'Not a bit, not a bit,' agreed Miss Entwhistle. "'Not even,' she thought robustly, "'when it was a house with a recent dreadful history. "'Love, she hadn't herself experienced it. "'But what was an imagination for, except to imagine with? "'Love was so strong in armor "'that nothing could reach one and hurt one through it. "'That was why lovers were so selfish. "'They sat together inside their armor, perfectly safe.' entirely untouchable, completely uninterested in what happened to the rest of the world. Besides, she went on aloud, you'll alter it. Lucy's smile at that was a little sickly. Aunt Dot's optimism seemed to her extravagant. She was unable to see herself altering the willows. You'll have all your father's furniture and books to put about, said Aunt Dot, continuing in optimism. Why, you'll be able to make the place really quite, quite— She was going to say habitable, but ate another piece of toast instead. Yes, I expect I'll have the books here, anyhow, said Lucy. There's a sitting-room upstairs with room in it. Is there? said Miss Entwhistle, suddenly very attentive. Lots of room. It's to be my sitting-room, and the books could go there, except that, except that— Except what? asked Miss Entwhistle. I don't know. I don't much want to alter that room. It was Vera's. I should alter it beyond recognition, said Miss Entwhistle firmly. Lucy was silent. She felt too flabby, after her three days with a temperature, to engage in discussion with anybody firm. That's to say, said Miss Entwhistle, if you like having the room at all. I should have thought. Oh, yes, I like having the room, said Lucy, flushing. Then it was Miss Entwhistle who was silent, and she was silent because she didn't believe Lucy really could like having the actual room from which that unfortunate Vera met her death. It wasn't natural. The child couldn't mean it. She needed feeding up. Perhaps they had better not talk about rooms, not till Lucy was stronger. Perhaps they had better not talk at all, because everything they said was bound in the circumstances to lead either to Everard or Vera. "'Wouldn't you like me to read aloud to you a little before you go back to bed?' she asked, when Lizzie came in to clear away the tea-things. 
Lucy thought this a very good idea. Oh, do, Aunt Dot, she said, for she too was afraid of what talking might lead to. Aunt Dot was phenomenally quick. Lucy felt she couldn't bear it, she simply couldn't bear it, if Aunt Dot were to think that perhaps. Everard, so she said quite eagerly, Oh, do, Aunt Dot. And not until she had said it did she remember that the books were locked up, and the key was on Everard's watch-chain. Then she sat looking at Aunt Dot with a startled, conscience-stricken face. "'What is it, Lucy?' asked Miss Entwhistle, wondering why she had turned red. And in time Lucy remembered that there were Vera's books. "'Do you mind very much going up to the sitting-room?' she asked. "'Vera's books.' Miss Entwhistle did mind very much going up to the sitting-room, and saw no reason why Vera's books should be chosen. Why should she have to read Vera's books? Why did Lucy want just those, and look so odd and guilty about it? Certainly the child needed feeding up. It wasn't natural, it was unwholesome, this queer attraction she appeared to feel towards Vera. She didn't say anything of this but remarked that there was a room called the library in the house, which suggested books, and hadn't she better choose something from out of that? Go down, instead of go up. Lucy, painfully flushed, looked at her. Nothing would induce her to tell her about the key. Aunt Dot would think it so ridiculous. Yes, but Everard, she stammered, they're rather special books. He doesn't like them taken out of the room. Oh said Miss Entwhistle, trying hard to avoid any opinion of any sort. "'But I don't see why you should go up all those stairs, Aunt Dot, darling,' Lucy went on. "'Lizzie will, won't you, Lizzie? Bring down some of the books, any of them, an armful.' Lizzie, thus given carte blanche, brought down the six first books from the top shelf, and set them on the table beside Lucy. Lucy recognized the cover of one of them at once. It was Wuthering Heights.' Miss Entwhistle took it up, read its title in silence, and put it down again. The next one was Emily Bronte's Collected Poems. Miss Entwhistle took it up, read its title in silence, and put it down again. The third one was Thomas Hardy's Time's Laughingstocks. Miss Entwhistle took it up, read its title in silence, and put it down again. The other three were Baedeckers. "'Well, I don't think there's anything I want to read here,' she said. Lizzie asked if she should take them away then, and bring some more, and presently she reappeared with another armful. These were all Baedeckers. Curious, said Miss Entwhistle. Then Lucy remembered that she, too, beneath her distress on Saturday, when she pulled out one after another of Vera's books, in her haste to understand her, to get comfort, to get, almost she hoped, counsel, had felt surprise at the number of Baedeckers. The greater proportion of the books in Vera's shelves were guide-books and timetables, but there had been other things. "'If you were to bring some out of a different part of the bookcase,' she suggested to Lizzie, who thereupon removed the Baedekers, and presently reappeared with more books. This time they were miscellaneous, and Miss Entwhistle turned them over with a kind of reverential reluctance. That poor thing! This day last year she was probably reading them herself. It seemed sacrilege for two strangers. Merciful that one couldn't see into the future. What would the poor creature have thought of the picture presented at that moment? 
the figure in the blue dressing-gown, sitting in the middle of all the things that had been hers such a very little while before. Well, perhaps she would have been glad they weren't hers any longer, glad that she had finished, was done with them. These books suggested such tiredness, such a—yes, such a wish for escape. There was more Hardy, all the poems this time in one volume. There was Potter, The Child in the House and the Emerald Uthwart. Miss Entwhistle, familiar with these, shook her head. That peculiar dwelling on death in them, that queer, fascinated inability to get away from it, that beautiful but sick wistfulness. No, she certainly wouldn't read these. There was a book called In the Strange South Seas, and another about some island in the Pacific, and another about life in the desert, and one or two others, more of the flamboyant guidebook order, describing remote, glowing places. Suddenly Miss Entwhistle felt uncomfortable. She put down the book she was holding, and folded her hands in her lap, and gazed out of the window at the hills on the other side of the river. She felt as if she had been prying, and prying unpardonably. The books people read, was there ever anything more revealing? No, she refused to examine Vera's books further. And apart from that horrible feeling of prying upon somebody defenseless, upon somebody pitiful, she didn't wish to allow the thoughts these books suggested to get any sort of hold on her mind. It was essential, absolutely essential, that it shouldn't. And if Lucy ever— She got up and went to the window. Lucy's eyes followed her, puzzled. The gardener was still mowing the lawn, working very hard at it, as though he were working against time. She watched his back, bent with hurry, as he and the boy laboriously pushed and pulled the machine up and down. And then she caught sight of the terrace just below, and the flags. This was a dreadful house. Whichever way one looked, one was entangled in a reminder. She turned away quickly, and there was the little loved thing in her blue wrapper, propped up on Vera's pillows, watching her with puzzled anxiety. Nothing could harm that child, she was safe, so long as she loved and believed in Everard. But suppose some day, suppose gradually, suppose a doubt should creep into her mind whether perhaps, after all, Vera's fall. Suppose a question should get into her head whether perhaps, after all, Vera's death. Aunt Dot knew Lucy's face so well that it seemed absurd to examine it now. Searching for signs in its features and expression of enough character, enough nerves, enough this, if there were enough of it, might by itself carry her through, sense of humor. Yes, she had a beautiful sweep of forehead. All that part of her face was lovely, so calm and open, with intelligent, sweet eyes. But were those dear eyes intelligent enough? Was not sweetness really far more manifest in them than intelligence? After that her face went small, and then, looking bigger than it was because of her little face, was her kind, funny mouth, generous, easily forgiving, quick to be happy, quick to despair. Aunt Dot, looking anxiously at it, thought she saw all this in the shape of Lucy's mouth. But had the child strength? Had she the strength that would be needed equally? 
supposing that doubt and that question should ever get into her head, for staying or for going, for staying or for running, oh, but running, running, for her very life. With a violent effort Miss Entwistle shook herself free from these thoughts. Where in heaven's name was her mind wandering to? It was intolerable, this tyranny of suggestion in everything one looked at here, in everything one touched. And Lucy, who was watching her, and who couldn't imagine why Aunt Dot should be so steadfastly gazing at her mouth, naturally asked, Is there anything the matter with my face? Then Miss Entwistle managed to smile, and came and sat down again beside the sofa. No, she said, taking her hand, but I don't think I want to read after all. Let us talk. And holding Lucy's hand, who looked a little afraid at first, but soon grew content on finding what the talk was to be about. She proceeded to discuss supper, and whether a poached egg or a cup of beef tea contained the greater amount of nourishment. End of chapter 29